Good morning and welcome to Two Oceans Vibe Radio. I'm Susanna Kennedy and as always, I will be with you right through until 2 p.m. today. I am super excited because this weekend, as you guys know, John Blissmas is a great friend of mine and I went to go and watch the Big Five Comedy Festival that was happening at the Grand West Arena and I was very lucky to watch an amazing set by Mr. Jason Goliath. And so, Jason, welcome on air. I was blown away. How are you doing today? I am. I'm full of amazing today. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit oily because I I, I started back with my personal trainer again after nice. two months. So this is actual cholesterol coming out of my face. <laughs> um, but but uh, I feel buff. I feel you, you know feel one, training, one training session and guns. Guns, done. It's that muscle memory, dude. It's the muscle memory. You've got it intact. I have the muscle memory of a thin person. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. Now, the reason why, Jason, I asked you to come and just have a conversation with me is because, first of all, you're hilarious. Just (laughs) let me just tell you that. But you speak about real things, you know, and, and you do it on purpose and you do it in a funny way. And, um, and I always respect comedians who do that, you know, not just funny for funny sake, but actually yeah. use the platform to communicate things that are important to you, um, but in a funny way so you keep the people engaged. And I actually think it's one of the most effective teaching tools. Has that always been the way you've done comedy? You know, in honesty, it, it hasn't. I think it's it's something that I've I've often thought about because you know it's it's we have this platform and these ears and this microphone, um, but comedy is very difficult. So I think it's it's in in fairness, you first have to be able to do comedy before you can start using comedy as a tool uh, yes. to you know sort of start seeding messaging so because comedy is so difficult the the first thing i needed to do was just be good at comedy so i've always spoken kind of about myself and the way i feel and perhaps used a little bit of motivation around uh you know self-acceptance and and self-love has been a big theme for me over the last probably uh five or six years of my of my eight-year career but um this year has been the first year where with everything that's been going on i just kind of woke up one morning and asked myself am I doing everything that I can do? You know, because I think that we, we let ourselves off the hook and we expect other people to do certain things. And then I think the only thing you need to do is as much as you can do. And then yeah. I, I'm just, I was just kind of, you know, I'll, I'll rest easy. Jason, sorry, I lost you Personal there for a second. I lost you there for a second. <laughs> You said all we can do is do the best we can do, and then I lost you yeah. after that. So, so all we can do is do the best that we can do, and and, and therefore it's for me it's a very personal thing. So I'm not com- trying to compare to anything that anybody else is doing. It's personal in the sense that I know myself, I know my heart, and I know uh, what kind of my emotional state is when I lay my head on the pillow at night. And all I was kind of after was laying my head down, knowing that I've done as much as I can do personally. Yes, because you, I mean, it's so important that you're teaching that. And actually, there's a lot of parallels between what you're talking about and the way I live my life as well. You know, I, 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 all my work is kind of geared towards celebrating people who are living their truth, you know, and following their dreams and their passions and supporting them in making that the best that they can be. 
but also in um, you know helping people by connecting them to different information um, so that they can enrich themselves in order to get where they want to actually be going. So there's a lot of parallels going on there. But you're you're you you did have a big business at one point that yeah. um, that didn't work out. How did? Because there's gifts in that, right? How did that, what, what were the gifts that you took away from that experience? Well, I think, I think that the, the biggest gift is the constant knowledge that can all be taken away and none of it is really real. Um, and when I, when I say that, very often people get discouraged, but I think that, you know, we, we put too much pressure on, for me, the wrong things. So mm-hmm. I've been really enlightened over probably the last two years of my life where I lost a friend to cancer. Um, and he was my closest, nearest, and dearest. And I'm it, so it, it, sorry. Took him, it took him. It took him in in like six months. And uh, here he was, this 36 year old guy, young wife, beautiful children, and uh, he's gone. And everything he worked for is still here. The only thing not here is him. And that yeah. kind of put me in the mindset that you know I've always kind of been a, a, a proprietor of happiness, and I'm always trying to sell people the idea that. The only thing that really matters is if you're happy or not. And, and what, what his death did for me was it enlightened me to the fact that the only thing we have is time. Uh, and, and, and it's running out every second of every day. So now I'm kind of of the, of, the, of the view that when I die, I only want to be asked one question. And that question is, did you have a good time? And I think that's the most important question. When I look back on my life, did I have more good days than bad days? You know, for example... I think we get so obsessed with it, this marketing engine that's been built around us, where we're obsessed with things and money, and and you know instead of instead of searching firstly for personally, what does happiness mean to you as an individual? What is your happiness? We've become so vicarious with happiness because of our exposure to all of these different media platforms and influences, where we kind of go, oh, that looks like happiness. I want that instead of understanding what makes you happy personally, uh, and then striving for and aspiring to only your happiness. I think that makes any sense. It makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. I, um, I, funny enough, you know, I've dealt with death a lot. Um, I started at a young age, actually. My cousin died when I was 17, and that was the first time I kind of went, oh, so that's what death is for me. It's yeah. a reminder to love everyone around yeah. you properly, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and appreciate and, and make sure that everyone around me, like, always knows that they are appreciated and loved. And then, yeah. so with each death, I've learned, like, a very valuable, valuable experience. And I almost also died um, five years ago, which taught me a whole nother um, plethora of valuable yes. lessons. Um but I want to ask you about something that you said because you know if if it's about is it about happiness or or is it about living a life well lived because you know we can't all be happy all the time right but we can live a life of meaning with as with a lot of joy in within that and I think it's, that there's and the reason why I'm asking you this is because yeah. a lot of people have this like. Um, this image that, oh my goodness, I have to be happy all the time. And I think that that puts a lot of pressure on people. You, you know, do you know what I'm saying? 
So, so the way I articulate it is, and, and I stand by it, that you know, happiness is the most important thing. But I think that people people kind of stop at that very superficial level. Yes. You've got to, you've got to unpack it, and you, you've got to understand a couple of things. So, so for me, my understanding comes from the fact that I, I finally understand yin and yang. I finally, finally understand that in order to appreciate the lightness or the light, you must have the dark. It's sweet and sour. It's hot and cold. You have to have these things. I'm also of the opinion that. Well, happiness is very difficult. It's probably the most difficult lifestyle is a happy lifestyle because it's easy to submit to the new norms of society, which is stressed, tired, broke, all of those things. And, and once you understand that you've chosen, so if I choose happiness, I choose the most difficult path. The most difficult path means it's the path with the highest cost and my happiness comes at a great cost. So once you understand it and appreciate that, Nothing is for nothing. It's not. It's not this magic thing. Abracadabra, alakazam. I'm happy. But it, it's 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 taking time to to firstly understand. So I had a great mentor in in a, in a, in a young man called David Kibuka. Who's now uh, David Kibuka. Sorry, I lost you again there for a second. Uh, sorry, I lost you. I, I lost you there for a second again. Sorry, Jason. You said you you had a great mentor. Are you talking about David Kabuka? Yes. So David David Kabuka, who who is now the one of the producers on the Daily Show, and, and uh, one of my David, best guy friends, actually. Amazing, amazing human. No, he's the best. He's he's he looked. I call him. I call him the Oracle because he's the all knowing. Um, and and David said to me, imagine the man you want to be, and then simply. Be that man. Now, with that sentence, there's a lot of cost. There's a lot of stuff I have to sacrifice. Ah. Sorry, I, I keep losing you, Jason. Is your I'm internet fiber, okay? I don't know what else I can do. I've got great fiber. I've got I've got all of the power. I don't know if it's me or is it you. I don't know. My, my, yeah, I'm plugged in. Um, sorry, so be have a vision of the best version of you you can be and then show up as that person. 100%. But that means that there are sacrifices that need to be made along the way. So, so being that version of yourself means you can't be the other things. So, mm -hmm. so I come from a beautifully woke mom. And one of the core messages that I was raised on was that the universe, my mom said, there's a hack code to the universe. And the basic hack is when you understand that the world exists on simple things like choice and consequence. So the decisions I make today will yield consequences tomorrow. And my mom always said, all I want is for you to have the foresight to understand that the choices you make will have the consequences, to have the foresight to see the consequences you want so that those will inform the choices that you make. I like that. And, and, and once I kind of understand it like that, so, so my happiness is based on simple things. I got married at 38 years old to the love of my life because I waited for the love of my life. I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want to be with the wrong person. I would rather be alone. And, and that came from finding happiness on my own. And then I kind of had developed this, I call it the 90% the, the rule. And the 90% rule says I'm 90% happy on my own. If I were to be with another person, that person's got to take me to 100. If the person I'm with takes me from 90 down to 80, you're eating 10% of my happiness. You need to use the door. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's an orchestration of, of holisticness in the sense that 
you can't just be a happy person because you decide to be happy, but you've got to orchestrate your life. I've spent a long time eating fish paste and brown bread to be able to do my favorite thing every day, which is stand-up comedy and making people laugh. The cost of doing stand-up comedy is sacrificing the salary, the benefits, the medical aid, and all of the perks that come with, with, with working a nine-to-five, for example. I then go, you will very easily find out your level of affordability. So if the thing that you think is going to make you happy is something that you can't see through, so you start a project and then stop halfway, then you can't afford that happiness. That wasn't the thing for you. But once you find the thing that makes you happy, you'll be able to pay all the way. I'd, I'll, I'll do comedy over everything. Take everything except my wife. Take everything else. I still want to do. I still want to do. Want to do comedy because I absolutely love it so much. So that money has no longer become an objective. It's become a side effect. So, like I, I do comedy because I love it, and and I make money because I'm good at it. I don't yeah. make money. You know, I don't leave home in the mornings to make money. I, I leave home in the yeah. mornings to make people laugh, and I make money as a result thereof. Which is, I mean, that's the dream. You, you basically Absolutely. living the dream, you know. But and I, it was hard work, lots of failure to get to the dream. Yes, yes, no, and for everyone. And I think that that's also an illusion. You know, so many people yeah. are petrified of failure. Don't yes. embrace failure, oh. embrace it, because that's where we learn, that's where we grow, that's how we get to where we want to be, you know. Absolutely. In the words of the great prophet, Will Smith, he says, fail forward. Yeah, fail willingly as long as you're conscious and learning from the failures. That's the success lies there in the failure. That is the important part. So um, there's two conversations that I so want to have with you, but the the one is going to I am going to for the listeners. I do know I am aware that you guys know that this is Tuesday, and so we are continuing the conversation around gender-based violence and what we can do personally and its communities to change the circumstances in our country. So one of the reasons why I asked Jason to be on the show was because I was so impressed with how he wove a message around that into his show. Um, yeah. And and I really loved that. So I do want to talk about that. And then I also would like to, um, but before we get into that, because I think we'll talk about that for a good sort of 10 minutes, um, yeah. I just wanted to ask you, for young comedians, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but for young comedians who want to be comedians, what do they do? Like, what is the best route forward for them to get where you are today? It's, it's well, rule one for me is be funny. If you're not funny, then comedy is not for you. And I, and I say that as bluntly as I, as I can because... You never see a person that can't sing going, I'm going to become the next Beyonce. But I meet very often people who are trying to tell jokes because they're into the superficialness of the lifestyle, the perceived lifestyle that Trevor Noah gifted us with kind of as a, as a comedian. So rule one, uh, you need to be funny. And then people go, well, how do you know you're funny? It's pretty simple. People around you laugh. People around you laugh when words come out of your mouth, then chances mm. are you funny. And I'm not just talking about people that like you. I'm talking about the cashier that served you your groceries. I'm talking about the waiter that served you your food. I don't know why all my examples are based around food and things, but you know me. Well, because they're the most important things in life, Jason. I mean, let's not pretend. Rule one, be funny. Um, and then rule two, uh, go and hang out with comedians. Uh, there's a secret that... 
this exists now with his clinical uh, manager, coined a phrase called comedy radery. And he says, comedy radery is this unspoken web of support that exists between comedians in the world. So it's not just a South African thing. If you are funny, comedians will help you become a comedian. It's that simple. So go and hang out at comedy clubs, go and hang out at any restaurant that does a once a month, once a week show, and just go and introduce yourself to the comedians, ask who runs the gig, and ask for an open spot. Once you've been given a spot, and maybe even before then, I suggest write five minutes of your own material. There's a very big difference between a joke teller. A joke teller can tell a joke from an email or a joke from a friend. A comedian craft our own material and we frown hugely upon plagiarism. Once you've written your five minutes of your own material and the advice there is five minutes that you find funny. Don't worry about what the audience thinks. You've got to write five minutes that make you laugh. If you're stressing about the audience, it's too much pressure. Just write down five minutes of content that make you laugh. Go out there and when you laugh, the audience will laugh if it's funny. So book a five minute slot, go and do five minutes and then just keep booking what we call open spots. So you initially start performing for free. It's an international standard. People, the second you are funny enough, will offer you money to come and tell your jokes. Um, and then you end up living the dream. So I started on the 3rd of July, 2011. I went to the underground, which was run by John Blissmus, um, with, with my cousin Nick. And Nick booked us the spot. And I was nervous, but people laughed. And then I just kept chasing gigs. I just would go to every show. And here's a secret. So, so because I'm a hustler and I like to kind of shortcut the system, what I would do is twofold. A, I made sure I went to every gig. Whether I had money or not, I'd be at every single gig. Then, at the gig, if I performed with Kachis uh, at Serving Gessi's gig last week, uh, I would then see who Kachis was talking to at this gig, figure out who booked the gig, and then while Kachis was talking to this gig's owner, I'd go and go, hey, Kax, it was so nice uh, performing with you last week. And then this person would go, oh my goodness, who are you? And then Kax would go, have you not seen him? He's great, book him for your show. And I just kept getting, kept getting books, which books. You've got to hustle, you've got to be humble, and you've got to buy comedians drinks. That's what I did. I was broke, but I just kept buying the drink until they felt bad enough to kind of invite me into their, into their inner circle. Some call it bribery and corruption. I call it the African way. Judge me how you will. But it worked. So after three months of buying drinks, week in and week out, eventually one of the guys just said, ah, no, Goliath, uh, I think it's time we bought you a drink. You're funny. Come and sit. Come and sit it out. Very cool. But the support is unbelievable. As long as you're funny, comics will go to the ends of the earth to make sure you feel welcome at home and are even funnier than you think you are. Amazing. I think that's such. It's such great step by step advice. First yeah. of all, for yeah. any young comedians that are that are looking at it, and it's also so heartwarming to know that the, that the comedian community is that supportive and that lovely. And I and I actually do know that to be true. I mean, I know Cags and I know John Barker and I know yeah. Loy and I know all of all of the guys. You know, I haven't been in it for a long time because I've been in Cape Town for the last eight years. But all of my comedian mates are actually up in Joburg. Yeah. You know, I don't see them as legends. much down here. Sorry? I said they're legends. Everybody you They, they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're absolutely legends. And... Um, and I got into it actually with John Barker because I was producing a film for him because that's my that's my background and obviously ah. David Kibuka, um, who uh, you said it he is he is one of the greatest human beings I know and I, I honestly just feel privileged to know him. Uh, you called him an oracle and um, 
when I see David, it is like that. We literally, or even when we talk on the phone, it's literally us like just talking about philosophy, the world, how things actually work, relationships, you know, and then eating, of course, and going to yes. comedy shows. Like that's what Dave and I do. So I don't because like on the streets, initially people would say, be careful not to get caught or trapped in a conversation with David because he's so long-winded and will just keep talking. And then I realized that these other guys are idiots because what David is, is he's the public library. And, yes. and by that, I, if you walked into the public library not knowing what book you were looking for, you could spend years trying to find something to read because there's just too much information. But if you go in and you ask the librarian for either a specific book or a specific category or topic or subject matter, they would direct you to somewhere that would change your life. So every conversation I have with David is always, I kind of come in going, yo, I'm struggling with this point of life, that point of life, and this point of life. And he immediately, because I've been focused, gives me gold. Absolute gold, yeah. No, he is incredible. Oh, we've lost connection for a sec. Oh, there you go. You're back, Jason. But he does. He gives absolute, yeah. absolute yeah. gold. Love you, David. Love you. Yeah, love you too, Dave. Love you. Um, so let's get on to this gender-based violence issue that we are dealing with, not only in South Africa, but all over the world. And again, I'm going to frame it for the audience, um, I do not agree with the men are trash hashtag. It's not something that resonates with me. I don't think by putting men down that it's going to help situations, although some men have felt that it has been beneficial in certain ways. But I do yeah. believe no matter what has happened in the goodness of men, in that we have a world filled with very good men, but the behavior of a lot of men needs to change. And not only of men, but women as well. And so with that context, I want to chat to you about um, how you framed your conversation so well in your show. And you just brought it to the end. And it was like, dude, he's been shifting men's minds in the audience the whole time yeah. throughout the set, you know, yeah. like just making them understand a little bit more. Like just share with the audience a little bit about that. So I, I've just come off a run of uh, my second one-man show called Menstruation. And it was called menstruation on purpose, uh, A, because I think it's, it's fantastic clickbait. And also in, in the time, I knew that I would get a, a reaction, and I did. So I had lots of women, for example, coming at me on social media saying that that's experiential appropriation, which I had to Google, um, saying that it was, was sexist. And my reply to all of them was simply, come and watch the show before you make your mind. And that's, that's, my, that's my issue, I think. I'd like to say with millennials, but I think it's with human beings, is that, you know, we jump to conclusions before we have the information and before we 100%. have content. Um, so either way, the, the show is called Menstruation, Surviving a Wife. And, and the narrative, narrative of the show came about uh, for two reasons. Num number one was that I'd just gotten married um, and had found that there was a remarkable difference between a girlfriend, a fiancé, and a wife. Um, number, number two was you know, under the cloud that I think, you know, men in South Africa and the world were under from a, a, a GBV point of view, I just had to ask myself the question, am I doing enough? Yeah. As a man, I, I also understand that I don't often learn when I'm either being shouted at uh, or criticized uh, or, or ridiculed 
Um, but very often I learn when somebody's not trying to teach me. So by that I mean, if, 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 if I'm entertaining you and seated within the entertainment is, is messaging, um, you know, it becomes more, more effective. But before writing the show, I had to form my opinion and be very clear on what my stance was, uh, what my view was, and what I believed my contribution could be towards creating some form of change. The sad reality is this. I don't believe I can change a grown man's mentality. Uh, and, and, and perhaps it may not be impossible, but I think that it is incredibly difficult to change the way an adult male thinks, processes, thought. But I do believe that by introducing severe enough consequences, we can change a grown man's action. So when it comes to younger kids, and, and I'm hoping to, to you know, I'm, I'm writing a, a version of the show to be able to go and do for high school boys and girls, for example, because I think both of them need to see the show, um, where I think they're still malleable, and I, and I, and I think that, you know, their the, the, the way, their core way of thinking can still be changed. But my, my basic opinion, and I'll give it to you just kind of the, the way I see it, my basic opinion is, 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 is straightforward and pretty simple. Number one, I think that all men, including myself, are, are guilty because we've been socialized incorrectly. So we've been socialized to, to you know, under, under patriarchy to think that certain things are okay. And yeah. I think that in this, what we've done is we've, we've effectively broken the relationship between, sorry, my wife has just walked in, hey baby. Um, effectively hey, broken baby. the relationship. <laughs> we've broken the relationship between, between men and women so badly that men don't realize that even things that we deem to be normal, like a handshake, a smile, a compliment, things that are supposed to happen kind of in the relationship between men and women can leave women feeling uh, afraid, feeling anxious. Uh, and, and, and it's that type of anxiety that led me to, to understand that it's no longer what we do, uh, but how women feel that is the responsibility that we bear. Oh, so, I love so that. What I love do. that. I have to just, I have to just stop there to make it a huge, like to make the audience yeah. listen to that because I think that that is so important because I get this all the time, you know, this argument from men and women, you know, but I, I just, you know, shook her hand or I just gave her a compliment or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. I, I, but, this is the thing. Yes, I just did this, which is supposed to be a normal thing. And I'm saying this in inverted commas for the people listening to the podcast. But the reality is it's not, a, it's not about what you did. It's about how what you did made that person feel. And that's the important part. And you've nailed that so on the head there with that comment. Sorry, Jason, I just needed to really I, articulate I that because that is so important. I got you. So it's, it's you know, for, for me, for me, sorry, sorry. Uh, so for, for me, A, it's, it's no longer what we've done, but how it made, it made her feel, which is something I think many need to be hyper-conscious of. But then we also need to accept responsibility. I think for years, we've been socialized to believe that the bad guy is the guy actually committing the crime in the back alley. And if you're not that guy, then it can't be all men. Then I go, no, it's all men, because if you've kept quiet in any situation when any man was being untoward, and I'll give you an example, uh, like, I, like I did on stage, if, if, and I did, I belong to these groups, which is why I say I'm the trashy one too, is you belong to these all-male groups and you get that, 
that, that, that famous text that goes, hey guys, my washing machine is broken and attached is a picture of a woman on a, on a, on a crutch. We should have spoken up and kicked that guy out of the group. Yeah. Did, acted inappropriately and you didn't speak up, then I think that we are all we are all just as guilty. So I think that the plea from my side was consequences are created when people understand that their behavior will not be tolerated. I, I, I draw the comparison to what's happening at the moment. I look at this this witch hunt for, for, for Vicky Momberg who, who Momberg who has evaded the law somehow. And then I go, there's never been a witch hunt for a man. I've never seen a, a GBV witch hunt where the whole country, men, women, all LSMs, races, all groups are kind of banding together. But if we started creating those types of consequences for men and we started taking it personally, so every man takes responsibility for every other man's behavior. And I'm not saying you must get into a fight in a bar. What I'm saying is just let somebody know that you don't think that's cool. That's yeah. enough. Just putting your hand up and going, yo, I don't think that's right. Well, I don't think that that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy with the way you've said that and state your, state your reasons and move on. It's those small things that start to change mindsets and also start to, to monitor and control behavior, which I think is the most important part. So I think that I think that that's such good advice because I think people feel overwhelmed all the time. You know, they're like, oh, it's too big a problem. There's nothing I can do not realizing that it's those simple little increments of just changing the way you receive and give information and what you actually celebrate and what you actually let slide versus what you stand up for. It's those tiny little daily choices. It actually takes me right back to the beginning of our interview when you were speaking about your mom and what she said to you, you know, it's your choices and the effect of those choices that is important. And if we can start recognizing that and just making better choices in every moment, we can start moving to a better place within society. And you know, I keep saying to people, I'm not, I ain't no saint and I ain't no martyr and I'm not, I'm not trying to be out here. I'm just trying to be, you know, keep pretending to be this, this perfect because I'm not, and it's difficult. And I think that my admission is that yes, there are lots of, of parts of you know being raised in a patriarchal society that we've 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 built some bad habits, and I think that when we stop and think about it, uh, a lot of us as men are are guilty, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's about just personal responsibility number one, putting your hand up and admitting, yeah, cool, I belonged to those groups, I laughed at those jokes because I thought it was okay. So it's like I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just trying to highlight areas that I feel haven't been highlighted in this way before, and therefore we have, uh, you know, different opinions about them maybe. But for me, as a man, I'm just trying to again just do the best that I can do. Mm. We know the difference between right and wrong. You know that certain actions would make you feel differently if the person, you know, being 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 victimized was a person that was closer to you, for example. And and then it's just to apply that as a constant or a consistent constant perhaps across the board which what you've just said is very important because the me too movement was very big all over the world but in south africa it wasn't as big as it was all over the world and um one of the things that i've been encouraging women to do because i i've been on the receiving end of gender-based violence in three very big ways in my life but i've never really told the full story of what actually happened to me 
you know, and it's yeah. because it's an inconvenient truth, you know, like it makes your family feel uncomfortable, makes your friends feel uncomfortable and you Absolutely. feel uncomfortable and you feel guilty and all of that. But what I've realized is, and what I think, and I'd like to ask your opinion as a man, is that when you suddenly realize that it's your sister, your mother, your wife, your best yeah. friend, your cousin, yeah. that are women, that this has happened to, surely that gives you a different level of a wake-up call rather than, oh, no, I heard about some girl that this happened to. Or it was... I, I, think, I think that the... The, 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 here's the, here's the, here's the wake-up call, is go and have a look at the stats. And I think the stats at the moment say that one in three women. Yeah, so that's correct. It is, is women that are close to you. It's, it's, it's so, so we can't make that distinction anymore. We can't, we can't only react because what we've done is, is we've made it very difficult uh, for victims to come forward. Uh, right. so, so for me, I don't even want to get into that. All I want to get into is it's every woman. Every, every woman we know, every woman we see, every woman we love or don't love or don't know. Every single woman is, is, is a potential next, next victim. So for me, what's, what's more important is to... to stop and make better decisions. I'd much rather be of the view that we need to treat every woman you know, like your mother, your sister, the woman you love, your wife. We need to protect every woman as ferociously as we've always tried to protect the women that are closest to us. Because if you look at the numbers, we weren't doing a great job by only protecting those women. Because, you know, the, the, the next guy you meet doesn't have the same sentiment or feeling around your woman. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I think that it's about... You know, it's, it's, this is a, a long road and I don't know how we're going to navigate it. I don't know how we're going to fix and mend the relationship. I don't know how we're going to get to a point where it gets less impossible when you start. Um, so it gets less impossible when you start and even less impossible with, with every step you take. My first uh -huh. step is delete the group, delete yeah. the group, and that's what I did. I stepped, I stepped out of the group after letting them know why. Yeah. And I think that, that was the most difficult part for, part for me. And then just being hyper-conscious because our minds as men, it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to go back to the, the kind of indoctrination of how we were socialized and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So you need to redefine your comfort levels. Um, you need to redefine uh, what 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 is and isn't right um, and then just try every day to be the best version of you that you can a hundred percent so two very big takeaways because I know that I have to let you go now you and I could speak for a very long time but I'm an, I'm conscious that you have a lot on your plate um, guys and girls it's about stopping and thinking before you respond yeah. Um, yep. and, and you said it so aptly with girls actually reacting to the title of your show. I've had it when I, you know, I'm trying to embrace my body in a body positive way. And I've gotten people looking at the photographs and re reacting without reading what I'm yep. actually saying about the journey to getting to a positive body. So mm -hmm. stop yep. before you react. Stop and read. Stop and think. Stop and educate yourself. Stop and experience. 
you know, I think that that's a, a really good one. The other one is just make better decisions every step of the way. So just show up as the best version of yourself, the version that you want to be in life. And I think that that's, that's so, so wise. Um, Jason Goliath, you are a gentleman, a scholar, a freaking comedian, a legend. I am so honored and grateful for your time here with me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wish you all the best.